Uh, let's pray. Father, how amazing it is to be in your presence. Father, in a, in a world that seeks to downplay who you are and to point us to so many other things, Father, we're thankful that you have come near to us in the person of Christ. You have come near to us through your word to tell us exactly what you want us to know about who you are and about what you've done. And so as we come together this morning as your people, as we come under the truth of your word, Lord God, we ask that you would guide us by your spirit, you would encourage us, you would build us up, Father, and that we would accept the invitation to come into your presence with joy and with song. And so as we just sang, Lord God, celebrating your presence among us, would you show us you're here? Would you work by your spirit and your word? And would you change us and grow us and give us joyful hearts because of your son? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks to our worship team slash shoveling team uh, this morning. They did a little double duty as they came in uh, to rehearse. Before they grabbed their instruments, they grabbed shovels. So thank you for doing that uh, this morning, and thanks for coming in today on a weird morning. We're glad we get to celebrate the Lord. We're going to be in Psalm 95 this morning, so if you'd like to follow along, raise your hand. Barent, Luke, they've got copies of God's Word that they will give you. If you'd like, in these Bibles, you can turn to page 320, 320, where we'll be studying Psalm 95. Uh, my name is... Charlie, I'm the pastor of Care and Community here at River City. So if you're a guest, if you're a visitor, we're very glad that you're here. We're excited that we get to point you to Jesus because that's what we do week in and week out. That's who we are. We are his people, and so as a people, we celebrate our Savior. And so welcome into that. We've been studying uh, the Psalms. We've been studying specifically book four of the Psalms. There are actually five books in the Psalms broken up, and we're studying the fourth book which is Psalms 90 through 106. And this particular selection focuses on the maturity of God's people as they see God's faithfulness on display. They're seeing that our God has authority over all things and that as his people, they're safe and they are secure. But Israel, they did not always believe these things. And if we go back in time, if we go back in Israel's history, long before these psalms were written, we see a few incidents that showed the doubt that God's people had. So God's chosen people, they spent over 400 years in slavery, in the land of Egypt. And God, in that time, he heard their cries. He acted miraculously to bring them out of Egypt with many displays of his mighty and sovereign power over his enemies, over those who were oppressing his people. And the Egyptians, they didn't like this, and so they chased God's people out of Egypt, and God miraculously opened up the Red Sea for them to cross through, for them to cross through safely. And then he brought those waters crashing down on the Egyptians, bringing his justice to bear on those who were oppressing God's people. And so they were safe, God's people were safe. They were out of slavery, and they were well on their way into the promised land, this place that God had promised where he would dwell with them, that they would be the people of God in the very presence of God, and they would enjoy all of the benefits that came along with that. But 
But, but not long into this journey, not long after God separated the Red Sea, not long after he brought it crashing down upon the enemies of God, Exodus 17, 7 captures this doubt that Israel still held against their God. Israel, at that time, they started to get hungry. And they started to get thirsty. And in those moments, the question that they're asking themselves was, is God among us or not? Is God among us or not? That's a pretty powerful question. Rather than trusting that God was with them, they tested God. They wanted him to prove that he indeed was with them and that he would not only sustain them as a people, but that he would satisfy them on their way to this new home that he had promised. And so Psalm 95, what we're studying this morning, it was written to encourage God's people a long time after that took place, a long time after they doubted and tested God. God's people in this setting, they had been actually removed from the promised land. And now God had again faithfully heard their cries. They've been taken out of exile and they're being brought back to this place that God had promised. Now they were reminding these generations of Israelites to find joy, to find peace and security in the presence of God, to worship him and to trust him rather than testing him, rather than complaining. And so let's read Psalm 95 together. It'll be up on the screen as well if you'd like to follow along, but let's read it, and then we'll study it, and we'll see what it has for us today. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people. Who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's God's words for, uh, word for us this morning. And a few weeks ago, we wondered if God was in control. Psalm 93 made it abundantly clear that God absolutely is in control and that we can trust that he always will be. And then last week, we wondered if God cared, if he was genuinely concerned about the the welfare of his people. But we saw in Psalm 94 that he absolutely does care, that he quiets our souls as he silences his enemies. And this week, we're going to wrestle with another question that's before us from this text. We're going to ask something similar to what Israel was asking so long ago. We're going to wonder 
Is God with us? Is God with us? And again, that's a powerful question. That's a difficult question because when we doubt that God is with us, when we doubt God's presence, we're going to start to believe that he no longer is sustaining us and we're no longer going to look to him as a source of satisfaction or joy in this life. Because when we're finding ourselves to be hungry or when we're finding ourselves to be thirsty, we're going to start looking to other people or to other things to quench our hearts, to give us what we are thirsting and hungering for. But as we dive into this psalm, we're going to see some amazing realities for us as God's people. That's going to take our grumbling and it's going to turn it into praise. It's going to take our testing of God and it's going to turn it into trust. Because that's what God does with us as his people. Our God is with us and our God provides for us. So let's look at the first five verses of Psalm 95 and point one. Worship God in his presence. Worship God in his presence. So verses 1 and 2, they give this amazing invitation to join this amazing choir. In fact, the greatest choir that has ever been put together in the history of everything. We see a couple invitations here. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And so, who here is sung in a choir? Yeah, a lot of you. A lot of you. You probably auditioned, you were probably critiqued, and if you were good enough, you were asked to join that choir, if this was like a serious choir. God's people, in this case... We are being invited with no audition, no critique. In fact, the only prerequisite is faith in Christ. We are being invited into this choir to sing praises to God. These loud expressions, these actual shouts, joyful noises, shouting to the Lord, expressing our thankfulness, expressing our gratitude, expressing our joy for Yahweh Malak the King, the covenant God who reigns. And so think about that invitation for a sec. If you were Israel, if you were coming out of exile, if you were returning into the promised land, you are now being invited to sing to God, to express your joy and your thankfulness in the presence of Yahweh Malak, the faithful King. And so the root word for presence here in Hebrew is actually face. They're singing and they are praising and they are worshiping God, literally translated, before the face of God. For those wondering if God was with them, for those Israelites wondering if God was in their presence, this is a reminder that you're actually entering into the very presence of God. You are worshiping and praising him to his face. And they're being invited to sing before the God of all creation. So look at verses 3 through 5. They are praising God because he is a great king. In fact, it says he is a great king above, above all gods. In his hands, in his hands, 
I love this. I love the word picture this is being, that's painted for us here. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The, the heights of the mountains are his. The seas, all that are in them belong to him. The dry land that his hands actually formed. In other words, the, the picture being painted for us is that all of creation, all things that are made are in the very hands of God, in his palms. And so Israel, you former exiles returning to the promised land, this is where you live. This is where you are. You never left. You've always been in my presence. Why? Because God is the king over all creation. He is the king over all things, the heights, the depths. Doesn't matter where you are. We have this great and we have this majestic king who holds all things right here in the palms of his hands. So is God with us, Israel? Yes, absolutely. A million times, yes. God is with us. For us, whether we are exploring the depths of the Mariana Trench or we are just getting to the top of Mount Everest, we're right there. We're right there in God's hands. And so, that's the reason. That's why we come into his presence with song, because that's where we exist. All of creation is in the palm of his hands. And so, does this imagery... Does this word picture being painted for us, does that get you excited at all? That no matter where we find ourselves, this is where we are. We have this gracious, merciful God looking down upon all things because he made all things. And he holds them in the palms of his hands. That's where we exist. We can never, never find ourselves away from the presence of God. And that's good news for us. That's good news for God's people. Or do you find, rather, in this season of life, this just doesn't seem where you're at? Do you find yourself doubting God? Do you find yourself complaining about God? Do you find yourself wondering if you're really in his presence? Do you feel like that child's at the mall who turns around and all of a sudden they don't know their mom or dad is? That's a scary feeling. That sheer terror you feel in that moment where you turn around and you don't know where your parents are. That's freaky. And we can feel that way when it comes to our God. So have you ever said to yourself, or have you ever thought, God, if you are so faithful, prove it. I certainly do not like what's going on with my life right now. So prove to me that you're with me. Show me that you are going to provide what I need. Because we can be really quick in forgetting that God has done miraculous things for us. We can be really quick in wondering if he's really the creator of all things, if he's really the sustainer of his people. And so when we forget that, when we forget his greatness, we're going to complain We're going to put him to the test. We're going to put him to the proof. And we're going to wonder, are you really with us? Are you really going to care for me? Are you really going to give me what I need? And so rather 
rather than grumbling, rather than testing, we trust. We trust that because God holds all things in his hand, that we are never outside of his sight. We're never outside of his presence because he's holding everything together. And that, in turn, gives us the basis for our praise. It gives us the basis for our hope that we cannot go too far beyond God's reach because he holds all things together in his hands. And so instead, what we say is, my God, I have doubted you. I have doubted that you are with me. And I have complained. I have put you to the test. I've, I forced you to prove to me that you are faithful. But I know and I trust that because you hold all things together, because you hold all creation in the palm of your hands, Lord God, that I can never go outside your presence. And that's good news for me. I'm going to hold on to that. All I can do now is to join my voice in with my brothers and sisters, like we just did this morning in songs of praise for who you are. And so do we see how the reality of God's sovereign hand holding all things gives us a basis for praise, a foundation by which we can say, I trust you. Because we, as God's people, we might be in Fargo, North Dakota, we might be snowed in, but we are still in the presence of God. And we still come together to sing songs to the the greatness and the glory of our God together. We are invited into that choir. And what we're doing right now is just practice for what we will really do one day. But not only has God created all things and holds them in his hand, but at the same time, he has created us. He has created us as his people, and he provides for us as his people. Let's look at the next section of this text. Where we'll consider the reality that we, as God's people, we get to worship God in his pasture. We get to worship God in his pasture. Let's study verse 6 and the first part of verse 7. So, what makes for good pasture land? Water, vegetation that is nourishing, that is rich in nutrients, a place that is safe so animals can graze openly. And so, a pasture is really a place where an animal can flourish in the care of its owner. And so the picture being painted in verses 6 and the first part of 7 should really land with us upper Midwesterners. It doesn't take long for us to drive and find one of these things that we're talking about. So in verse 6, we see another invitation from the psalmist, another invitation to come. And in this instance, we're invited to, to bow down. We're invited to kneel before our Maker. And so not only has God created all things, but he has made us. He has made all of mankind in his image. And even more specifically, he made Israel to be his people, to be his heritage, to be his chosen possession. He created them. And in response to all of this, all Israel is being encouraged to do is to bow down before him, to kneel. And what that means is actually acknowledging that God is our creator, that the God of Israel is their sustainer, 
and that they owe all of their existence to him. And so for us, same goes. He is our God. I love this. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his own hand. Again, I love that, that imagery that this psalm gives us. So as God's people, we exist before the face of God. All of life is lived before the face of God. And we live in his pasture. We exist as the sheep in his hands, a place of safety, security, nourishment. And so Israel, in this time, they were being, they were being brought back from exile into the promised land where they find this provision and where they find this protection. And all this comes because of the presence of God. Because they're going to dwell with God, they will find all that they need to survive and to thrive as his people. And having been exiled, having been torn out of their land violently, they now had a perspective that no matter where they were, no matter where they lived, God still protected them. God still provided for them. And so for us, as the people of God, we too exist in this pasture. That might be kind of just a weird uh, word picture for us to consider, but that's where we live. We are in a place of safety. We are in a place of sustenance. And we are in a place where we are satisfied by what our God has provided. And so we Same deal. We can know that no matter where we are, our God protects us, our God provides for us, he sustains us, he satisfies us as the sheep of his hand. We live in his pasture, in the palm of his hands, before his face, And this reality should cause us to come before him in praise and in worship and to bow down and to kneel before him as our maker, as the one who created us. Just as ancient Israel, when they had walked out of the Red Sea, when the waves had crashed onto Egypt and and destroyed the oppressors of God, just as ancient Israel got hungry and they got thirsty, we too need nourishment. We too can forget that God is a source of these things. We need something that we can bite into that actually has substance and that sustains us in the midst of suffering, that satisfies the longings and the desires of our thirsty souls. Do you feel that thirst this morning? Do you feel that hunger? But we can know, because this psalm tells us, we always live before the face of God. We always exist in his presence. And so because of that, we can know, because he is our faithful king who provides, we will always be fed. We will always be nourished. We will always be sustained. And we will always be satisfied. He feeds us by his word. He gives us truths about himself that satisfies. They sustain us. And what they do is it reminds us of who we are and where we exist. God's people in his pasture before his face and we bow down. We worship. 
We kneel before him as our creator. And so for us, what does our diet look like? What are we grazing on? What are we chewing on? Where are we looking for sustenance and satisfaction? Personally, it's become so clear over the last year how I have looked to the next thing that I'm going to buy that's going to give me that satisfaction and that nourishment. And I swear Netflix is going to sustain me one of these days. I sure look to it for, for that kind of thing. Sandy's Donuts, nourishing. What my body, man. <laughs> what our bodies need, right? We're so quick when we're hungry and thirsty to look to other things. Because I'm doubting God's presence. I'm doubting his provision. I'm looking for the things that I need elsewhere. I'm grazing in another pasture. But that's where this psalm reminds us that it's our God who nourishes. It's our God who satisfies. And we exist in the palm of his hand. And he nourishes us. He guides us. He protects us. He keeps us safe even when it doesn't feel like it. But this is what Israel is being reminded of. This is where you live. This is where you are. This is who you are. Hold on to those things. Be nursed by those things. They were reminded through this psalm that God was indeed with them, that he had never left them, that God was providing for them. And it's the same for us. God is with us and God provides for us. And this turns our grumbling and our complaining, it turns that into praise. It turns our testing into trusting. And so again, let's accept that invitation to join this choir, to bow down before God and to praise him as the people of his pasture, as the sheep of his hand. That's what we're being called into. Because the reality of doubting God's presence and wondering if he's going to provide for us is something that really this psalm is forcing down our throats as we get into this next section. But it's necessary to consider if we want to mature in our faith, if we want to grow in trusting that God is with us and that God will provide us. And so let's, let's read this final section, the last part of verse 7 through the end of the psalm. And our, our third and final point Prepare for God's presence. Prepare for God's presence. So to understand this final section, again, we're going way back. We're going way back to Israel after God had taken them out of, the, out of slavery in Egypt. They had miraculously crossed the Red Sea. God destroyed the Egyptian army that was chasing after them. And right after that, they find themselves in a place where they were thirsty and hungry, and God provided for them. God provided for them sweet water. But they were quick to get hungry and thirsty again. They didn't trust God. They tested God. Rather than praising him, they put him to the proof. Even though God had done all these amazing things, like just weeks prior, they had really become quick to doubt God's presence and God's provision. And verse 8 says, They hardened their hearts as at Meribah and Massah. So Meribah means place of strife. In Hebrew. In Massa, it means place of testing. And so the psalmist is using this history, he's using Israel's tendency for, for strife and for doubt and for testing 
to warn them against doing the same thing as God takes them out of exile and brings them back into their promised land. He's using this last section as a warning as well as a reminder. Because Israel had put God to the test. So says verse 8. They said, Prove to us that you are Yahweh Malak, that you are the faithful king who is with us. Prove to us that you are Yahweh Malak, the faithful king who provides. They had just witnessed all these miracles, and yet they found themselves hungry again. They found themselves thirsty. And they put God on trial and said, Prove to me, prove to us that you're among us. So what did God do? Exodus 16 and 17. God provided them food. God provided them with water. Despite their complaining and grumbling, God provided. Despite their testing, God gave them what they needed. But it also says here in Psalm 95 that God loathed, loathed that generation. It was those who put him to the proof, who put him to the test, and they went astray in their hearts. They did not know his ways. And so, they didn't enter God's rest. This generation actually wandered the desert for 40 years. And it was the next generation that actually entered the promised land, that actually entered God's pasture. So, for these exiles, returning to the promised land, to God's pasture, the psalmist is telling them, all right, guys, you've done this before. Don't be stubborn. Don't harden your heart like at Meribah and Massah. Don't grumble. Don't complain. But rather, what you're entering into is a place of safety and protection and sustenance and satisfaction. So praise God. Kneel before him and let him know how thankful you are. And so, for us, what does this mean? First, it means that the psalmist is reminding the exiles of God's faithfulness in the past. And we get to be reminded of the same thing. Our God has an amazing track record of providing for us as his people. The biggest way we can do that is by looking to Christ to see how he has provided. John 6 says that Jesus is the bread of life. Israel was hungry. God gave them manna from heaven. Bread. But John 6 says Jesus is the bread that brings life. He is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John chapter 4 says that Jesus is the living water who satisfies, who quenches the thirst of his people. And so the biggest way that God has provided for us is in Christ, the one who gives life, the one who sustains us as those who's received new life, and he is the one who brings satisfaction. Not Netflix, not Sandy's, not stuff, but Jesus is the one who brings the satisfaction that will give joy to our souls, that will give peace to our being. Jesus himself is God's provision. He never, ever complained about his father, not once. He never, ever put his father to the test and said, prove that you're faithful. Instead, what he did, what Jesus did, was he actually laid down his life for the grumblers, 
He laid down his life for the testers. If God holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains, if he created the seas and he formed the dry land, if he holds us as the sheep of his hands, what makes that all possible is that Jesus' hands were nailed to a cross. And he died so that we could have life, that we could have true rest for our souls. And so Jesus Christ is God's provision for us. He saves and he satisfies and he sustains us as his people. And through faith in him, we enter God's rest. We enter his pasture. And so do you get excited about that? That's a pretty big deal. When we trust Jesus, we're not going to test God. When we worship our Savior, we're not going to be grumbling against our Father. That's the provision that God has done for us. As the psalmist was reminding these exiles of what God has done, we're reminded of what God has done in Christ. Next, we consider our present circumstances while we await his return. We are the people of God's pasture. We are the sheep of his hands. And in our present circumstances, Matthew 6 shows us that we can indeed trust our God to provide what we need. Food, clothing, the basic things that are necessary for life in this world. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things that we need are going to be added to us. Hebrews 4, uh, verses 15 through 16, that says, Because of Christ... What we get to do is we get to enter the very presence of God to receive mercy and to find grace for, uh, to help in time of need. So even now, as we are, are awaiting our, our future rest in the presence of Christ, our God sustains us and he satisfies us through his Son. We know that he, can, he will continue to care for us. He knows our needs and he's going to meet those needs. And rather than grumbling about what we don't have, instead, we get to praise God for what we do have. We trust that he knows our needs better than we do. And because we're the people of his pasture, we trust he's going to provide for us. Because of him, we will endure to the end. Our hearts will not be hardened because he's given us new hearts. We will hold fast because he holds fast to us. And then lastly, third, we get to look at our future reality. There's going to be a day when we truly enter our rest, when we truly experience the full presence of God, his full satisfying and sustaining nature when we are standing before him one day. And like these former exiles, we're waiting for that time. We're waiting for that day. And while he leads us there, we trust that one day we're going to experience true rest. True rest, where there is no room to doubt, there's no room to test, there's no room to wonder if he is with us because we'll be before his face in all the fullness of his glory. No grumbling, no complaining, but only worship. And the purest praise and joy will come from this choir of God's redeemed people who are getting after it. Handel's Messiah will not stand up to what we sing one day. 
And Revelation 19 tells us one day we're going to sit together at this marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's going to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That day awaits us. And what a meal that's going to be. Eating and rejoicing in the presence of our Savior. And so for now, as God's people, we take this last section of 95 and we use it to prepare our hearts for that great day. Rather than hardening our hearts, grumbling instead of worshiping, testing God instead of trusting God, what we're doing, what we're called to is to take up these invitations to sing praises to our God, to come into his presence with thankfulness, and to bow down before him in praise. Because God is with us. He has provided for us. He is providing for us. And one day, we will be in his very presence with no room to doubt, no room to test, only room to rejoice. So, for now, let's pro- uh, proclaim his excellencies together. We're going to sing in a couple minutes. And I hope that this focuses our hearts on what we're singing and why we're singing it. But first, we want to take some time. We want to examine our hearts and ask, Lord, where am I doubting? Where am I putting you to the test? Where am I asking you to prove that you are with me and that you will provide for me? We're going we're gonna to focus on that for a few moments, and then we're going to sing songs of praise that remind us that God has provided for us a Savior. And then we're going to go from here. We're going to go into our snow-laden neighborhoods, and we are going to consider in our community groups the reality of living before the face of God, being the people of his pasture, how that informs how we live and how we worship and how we care for one another. And so as we pray, as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, we have the freedom to share our grumblings, we have the freedom to share our complaints and to bring them to our God in prayer. And so let's pray, let's come to the table, and then let's worship and praise God together. So pray with me. Father God, we are humbled by this amazing invitation to praise you, to kneel before you, and to express from the deepest parts of our our new hearts our thankfulness and our gratitude for what you've done in Christ Jesus. So as we pray here this morning, as we wrestle with the reality we face of grumbling and testing and doubting Lord God, Would you work in our inner beings to give us a comfort and a hope and a trust that you are with us, that you have provided for us, and that you will sustain us until the end? Wherever we're doubting that this morning, replace that doubt with trust and use your word to give us joyful hearts. 
That even when we're not singing together as a body, Lord, we're trusting and we're joyful and we're thankful. Even in the midst of suffering and difficulty and stress and strife, Lord God, would you give us faithful, trusting hearts to glorify you and to sing your praises. We pray those things in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.